This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. And just like, leave it, leave it alone and let this happen. So while you're waiting on the Lord, while you wait on Him, don't wait passively. But wait in the power and the anointing and the authority of the Holy Ghost. Stand your ground say, I'm waiting until Jesus comes and he settles the score once and for all. And until he tells us to move and tells us to walk and tells us to do anything, I'm just waiting on Jesus. And let that, let's, let's, the work that needs to be done is that that needs to be enough. Let that work be done in you today. In Jesus' name. Let's just pray here right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm asking that the work of waiting and waiting on you and you being enough for us while we wait, Lord, I pray that that work is done in our hearts today. Lord, that we recognize and fully embrace and realize the necessity to wait on you in everything and to trust you. And that in the middle of this waiting season that we face, Lord, whatever it is, whenever it is, that you're enough. You're, you're the prize. You're the pearl of great price. You're the treasure in the field. That you are our shield and our exceeding great reward. Thank you, Jesus. So we wait on you. We don't move. We just wait for you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, you can go back to your seats here this morning. Welcome everyone today to Greater Life. Let's welcome all of our guests here today. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Well, let's just do this. Let's dive right in. Um, I know I said you'd go back to your seats, but if you wouldn't mind standing at your seats one more time for the reading of the word, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Amen. Excited to see so many of you returning. Give honor to uh, Wayne and Joyce Smith joining us from Iowa. We want to give honor to you, sir. Appreciate you and love you and your family so much. Amen. Center. I was just on the phone with uh, Pastor Doug Inger this week, actually a little bit, and uh, just so we, you know, um, I'm trying to twist his arm and convince him to come up here again and to join us again. So, uh, Brother Smith, if you could just kind of like put some pressure on him and uh, you know turn up the heat on him or something like that and kick him out a little bit. Uh, he he needs it, so no, I'm not putting that on you, but uh, but uh, we we do enjoy our friends from Iowa. Amen. They've been a blessing to us. Amen. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. 
Um, I'm, I'm going to read the first few verses here and just help us with something, but the rest of the context is what we're, content is what we're going to be looking at uh, here today, spending the majority of the time on. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14 says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes in me, who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Just real quickly, I do want to touch on something here this morning that sometimes we just read verse 15 and 16, go into all the world and whoever believes is baptized and so on and so forth. But Immediately preceding those verses is Jesus rebuking them for unbelief and hardness of heart. We, w- we don't really enjoy receiving that from the Lord, where, where he, he gives us rebuke for unbelief and hardness of heart, and then he says, now go do something. Extremely challenging. Like, that doesn't seem very motivating. Like, Lord, you're supposed to build me up, right? <laughs> He's like, no. Just be obedient. Obedience is not a feeling. Obedience, and we need a bumper sticker or a shirt that says that. That's our next church merch uh, endeavor. Obedience is not a feeling. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, here we go. Verse 17. All right, now all the Pentecostals are like, here we go. Yeah, I want to get to this verse. Verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And these signs will follow them that believe. In my name. In a little while, for a little while this morning, I am just going to preach on this subject as it, as it pertains. And these signs shall follow those that believe in my name. The subject is this. You ready? They will take up serpents. You ready for this one? <laughs> Turn, why don't you just turn to somebody, shake someone's hand, t- talk to somebody you don't know maybe, and branch out a little bit and just make sure, hey, I, let's be ready for this.
All right. I didn't tell you to say that much, so go ahead and find your spots. You may be seated this morning. You may be seated, but I, I'm going to need your help here today. This, this sermon is in, in prayer and in just seeking, I feel like, God's will and what he wants for today. I, I do feel like the Lord wants to speak to us about some things here today. But at the same time, this subject is a little bit, um, it's, uh, yeah, did, did you say weird? It is. I, I love that. Yes, it's true. It's weird. It's, this is weird. Now, by the showing of hands, by the showing of hands, has anybody ever, like, been, like, out in the wilderness around poisonous snakes and been like, they shall take up serpents? <laughs> like grabbed one. I was on an extended hiking trip in New Mexico, and uh, a few times I walked by and heard the rattle of a rattlesnake close to me. And I never thought, well, March 16, you know, like let me just kind of, like I just, I started making some record progress on that trail. I started moving fast. And of the four Gospels that we have at our disposal that we read, there were there were many markers of Jesus' impact and the impact that he had on people's lives. Sometimes it was the words that he said and the, just the doctrine that he presented, and, and that would just spread, and it would spread like fire, just like incredible words and the wisdom and the authority and the power with which Jesus spoke made an impact on people's lives. Words made a difference. Sometimes it was the traditions of man that he flaunted, and he just help them with their traditions and help to kind of break some of those or, or to challenge some of those traditions. And, and that would start to, he'd start to develop a reputation as somebody who really was not as traditional as, as the leadership maybe would have wanted or maybe what they would have liked. And when that happens, you start to take note of this man, Jesus, and wonder what is he going to do next. Sometimes uh, and most notably, it was probably surrounding the miracles or the supernatural that word of him spread like wildfire. It was at the beginning of the miracles and the wedding of Cana when water was turned into wine or the, the lepers that were cleansed or the maimed and the, that were healed and the blind that were given sight or the deaf um, who could be restored to their hearing. And those miracles that took place would spread like wildfire, so much so that crowds, as you read in the scriptures, crowds would bring people to Jesus to be healed. That was just, that was part of what he did. We, of course, also know of the many times that he would cast out demons from people. And I know in the 21st century, in first world America, in the United States of America, um, we don't like to really engage with this because we think that this is not a part of what we deal with today. But let me tell you, there is a spiritual climate and atmosphere, and there are there is still like the Bible is not confused about this. The Bible doesn't say, "Well, this is really controversial. I don't think we should talk about it much." The Bible's like, "No, it's there and it's in your face." And quite frankly, the religious leaders of that time didn't have anything to do to handle it. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know what to do with any of it. The lepers, they put them outside of town. 
The sick people, they couldn't, they couldn't advance in, into, the, into the temple. Um, the, the, the people that were possessed, they just tried to chain them up, and they couldn't do anything with them. They had no answers. So in comes Jesus, and he has an answer. And it's a definitive answer. It's not like, it's not, there's no controversy, but he just comes in, and he starts putting things in order. Pretty cool. We, of course, know also uh, how he told his disciples, and he, as he tells us today, that the works that I do, this is found in John 14, the works I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do. Now imagine hearing that from Jesus. Imagine hearing that when Jesus says, you know the things that you've seen me do? The words that I've spoken with authority, not just the miracles, like, right? Like, the words I've spoken with authority, the, the traditions of man that I've helped people to understand and reshape some better things, better ways in their lives, and the, and the healings, and the, and the deliverance, and, and all of these things. Like, he's like, all these things that you see me do, you're going to do it too. Not just that, greater things. You know what Jesus also did, though? I'm just going to insert this. He also lived a sinless life. And sometimes we like to focus on the wild and supernatural things. But the greatest thing that you can strive to do is to live a pure life. Hallelujah. Okay, well, that's not exactly something to shout about here this morning, but it really is. To live a life unspotted from this world, undefiled from this world. And listen, all have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, the rate, wages of our sin is death. But Jesus Christ came. He came, he was born, he lived, he died, and he rose again to help you with that. To help you with this walk in this life. And you don't have to live a life slave to sin. Greater works. Okay. So we read here in Mark chapter 16 as Jesus is preparing to depart from dwelling among us and preparing to dwell in us. And we read here that, uh, and he tells the believers of all ages, he says, if you believe in me, these signs will follow you. And these signs include, in my name, you will cast out demons. We can read of the dozens of references of this taking place with Jesus throughout the Gospels. And he says, this same authority will follow the believers he says, you will cast out demons. Everyone say, we saw Jesus do that. We saw Jesus do that. He says, these signs will follow them that believe you'll cast out demons. We saw Jesus do that. You saw, we saw him do that. He says, you will speak with new tongues. We're not strangers to the concept of new tongues. Or even, even not, not just even the new tongues that accompany the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but or even, just even a new way of speaking in general. Like a new way of speaking and, and projecting what God has given to us into our world. 
and don't, I'm not trying to get weird here today, but here's what I am trying to say is that you, you will, the words that you say, you'll follow those same words. They will create the path that you follow. If you say I'm just a failure, guess what? You're just going to set yourself up to fail. If you say I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a loser, guess what? Or I'm just dumb, I can't get it figured out, that's, there you go. Did you tell me to say it again? You're trying to tell me to say it like, like that's me? <laughs> like a double portion Lee? No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But don't go on to the other side and you say, oh, I'm so great and I'm so good and I'm so right. Like, no, you're not. You're not that great. I hate to tell somebody that. But what it is, is when you, when you align yourself with, with his word and like his will, it's like, well, I, I, I'm not much, I'm nothing, but he's everything. And he's redeemed you and called you by his name. He's placed his name on your life in baptism. He loves you. He's brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He has a purpose and plan for your life. When you can begin to speak about Jesus in your life, that's, that's the path that you're going to start to walk on. New, that's a new way of speaking. When you, let me just help somebody here today. Oh, boy. Um, when you begin to speak things about other people, we need a baptism of a new way of speaking about other people. Oh, ho, 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 hallelujah. And not just the people you agree with. Well, and not just the people you voted for. Mm -hmm. Is this okay this morning? Whew, okay. Oh. I, okay, I gotta, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, well. He says, you'll speak with new tongues. And when Jesus came, we saw him change the narrative. We saw him do that. Everyone say again, we saw him do that. We saw him do it. He says, if you drink any deadly thing, it will, it will not hurt you. Jesus drank of the cup of Calvary. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? We saw him do that. We saw him drink that cup, and it didn't hurt him. You will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Guess what? We saw him do that. They saw him do it time and time again. He would lay hands on sick people, even a dead person, and, and call them to rise again. And the Gospels are full of the healings of Jesus. We saw him do that. But there's one thing. I, I'm fine with all of those are fine with me. I'm good with those. But there's one thing that has, that in, in the, for the believer or the followers of Christ, that has always just kind of rubbed us the wrong way. Or at least I hope it does rub you the wrong way. I hope, this is, I hope you're not among those who are just like, I just go pick up snakes all the time. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. There's been a whole, <laughs> well, 
It's one thing that just has always struggled and doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, to me. And it is, you will take up serpents. Now, I know for our Bible believers here this morning that our minds immediately go to the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul. And we immediately go into where Paul is grabbing a bundle of sticks to put into the fire, and as he's placing them into the fire, a viper jumps out and bites him. But can I tell you, Paul didn't take up that serpent. That serpent jumped out and got him. Now, hold on. Some of you are thinking, well, does that mean that we got to start to test this thing out? Oh, I got it. Oh, I got a blessing for us here today. You never thought you'd be a part of one of those churches, did you? When I first started pastoring, easy. When I first started pastoring a few years ago, I, met, I won't say who, I won't say what denomination, but I met a pastor of, this, of, of one of the churches in this uh, community. He wanted to meet with me, and he told me that he told all of his friends, his pastor friends, that he was going to come meet with the pastor of the Pentecostal church. And, uh, and he said, they all started to warn him, be careful. Those people are crazy. And so far, I'm like, yeah, I like where this story's going. But, like, he said, he, said, um, he said, they do weird things in their church. And I'm like, okay, well, like, what kind of things? He's like, they got, like, banners and flags they run around with. Listen, you don't need a banner to worship the Lord. I'm going to just help somebody. If you, if you feel like you need a banner, the Lord is your banner. Like, so just receive that right now. <laughs> just receive that. <laughs> but he said they, they do weird things like they, 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 some of them handle snakes. Some have snakes. Some of you maybe don't know about this. But there's churches that are not, let me just be clear, that are not a part of our movement. They can call themselves Pentecostal all they want. They're just off the mark, <laughs> way off, and you know, anyway, let me, it's not a biblical practice, but they, they do this thing where they say, if you have faith, we're going to test our faith and our power and everything like that, so what they do is they, they grab snakes, and they say, go ahead and reach on into me and grab that snake, go ahead, do it, oh, <laughs> got me too, got me too the first time, go ahead, okay, go ahead. Pull that, pull that stick. There you go. Take it. Get, oh, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Right. Lee, did that did that poison you? The only way that snake is going to kill you is if you eat it. Um. <laughs> But there's this idea that some people have come up with, and they say, well, what that must mean is it must mean that it's our, that we have the authority and the mandate to go pick up snakes. Let me just help somebody. If you ever start to think about that, the answer is no. The answer is no. Don't, don't do it. Don't, don't go around picking up snakes. And some of you are like, you don't have to even tell me that. I just, I'll admit, if, if that, I just. Yeah. 
But in, in all of those other cases, we see what Jesus did, but I don't see Jesus walking around picking up snakes. So Jesus, what are you talking about? If, if we were to take this as a literal statement to go, go around picking up snakes, we would say, well, what, Jesus, I don't understand. What are you talking about? We never saw you. Is this one of those like greater works? What does this even mean? So today, with the help of the Lord, I want to help us. I want to help myself. I want to help us figure this one out. Is that okay today? Because this applies to you, whether or not you know it yet. Relatively early on in Jesus' ministry, he makes a statement to his followers that many people over much time have either maybe taken out of context or quite simply don't necessarily, I think, fully grasp or understand the significance of it. And it's found in the book of John, chapter 3. The book of John, chapter 3, especially in verse 16, is one of the often most quoted verses of scripture in the world. And it's a good scripture, and the beauty of John 3.16 is that it doesn't stand on its own. No, no scripture, no verse does. But he says this in John chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But verse 14 is the verse I want to focus on, because that's the reference that I, that I want to help us with here today, or I think the Lord is helping us with. John 3 and 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Did you catch that reference? One of the beautiful things about Jesus and why he's so, one of the reasons he's so just profound in his speaking is that he's always making reference to the Old Testament. He's always bringing this together for the audience then, but for us today to understand how this whole thing works. And so... He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, and after the same manner in John chapter 12 and verse 32, after the same manner, he, he gives this statement. He says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples or man to myself. I'll draw, I'll draw everybody to me if I am lifted up from the earth. Now, this does not mean if he is praised or worshipped or glorified in the sense of us clapping our hands and having praise and worship towards him. He's making a very specific statement here, and he says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And so what's powerful about this is that we can kind of just take that and say, well, that just means that he's, that's signifying his death, and, and that's all that it means. But it means so much more than that today. And if you'll allow me for a moment, I want to explain to us here today the significance of why Jesus said that you can take up serpents. To do that, let's go to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. The point 
of this, of this statement that Jesus makes in John 3 and John 12 and the point of what's happening here in Numbers 21, the point of the lifting up, whether it's the serpent or Jesus, is to draw attention to that which is being lifted up. And what's so, what seems so ironic for believers is that Jesus is referring, is likening himself to the serpent that's being lifted up. Like, like, whoa, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. You're saying, just like the serpent was lifted up, I need to be lifted up. Jesus, you, what are you talking about? So Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, bears this story out, and it's really a fun story. Um, well, not fun, it's kind of terrifying, actually. But Numbers 21, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way uh, of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged. In the Hebrew, that word discouraged means impatient. Think about that. Let that roll around in your head for a second. The soul of the people became very discouraged or impatient on the way. And the people, hear this now, this morning. The people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul, our soul loathes this worthless bread. Here, here, just once insert right here. There was food. There was water that God miraculously provided every day for them. And the bread was far from worthless because it kept them alive. But they looked at their previous oppression and in their wilderness season, they discounted and devalued the things of God in exchange for their oppression. Our souls loathe this worthless bread. So the Lord did something for them to help them. He sent fiery serpents among the people. Not, not, just, not just fire and not just snakes. Like you see any one of those independently and it's like, oh, oh, no. He put those things together. And then he said, here you go. Church, do you know what that means? Like, imagine if one snake got loose in this church here today. We don't have any snakes. There's no, nothing in the bag. We're not, that, we're not those people. But imagine if one snake got loose in the church today. <laughs> nope, I'm out. You'd see, it'd be the rapture. People would just be flying out. <laughs> like, they'd leave their shoes behind. <laughs> they'd just be gone. Like, People are out of here. There'd be holes in the windows everywhere. Like, people just gone. This wasn't just a snake. This was a snake that was on fire. And it was lots of them. And it went everywhere. Have you ever tried to catch a snake? Have you ever tried to catch a snake? I grew up kind of in a rural area, and, and we had garter snakes, and, you know, like, 
they don't bite. They're not venomous or anything like that. And what, what is, it probably wouldn't surprise you. I played with snakes when I was a kid. Like, I wasn't one of the, yeah, okay, anyway, don't, it's not important. But snakes are tricky. Snakes are like the bats of the grass. They're just tricky. They just, they just, as soon as you think you got them, they just kind of go this way, and they're quiet. They're just so quiet and creepy. And you get them, and they, they you know, they just, they, they're able just to move in a certain, they're, they're, they freak you out. They're scary. So imagine scary, fiery serpents being sent among the, the, the people. And uh, but sent by God, by the way. And they bit the people, and many people of Israel died. What did they die from? It was the poison. It was the, the poison that was injected into them from the serpents. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. That was their, their solution, was to take away the serpents. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make another one. Make, this is God's solution. See, we have our solution to how we think things should go. Oh, Lord, I made a mistake, so here's what you can do now to fix this. And the Lord says, well, I'm going to help you with this, but there's work that you got to do on your part. So he says to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Like, hear that. That wouldn't be our solution. It's the, what the Lord is doing is he's saying there's an anticipation that more people are going to be bitten. You can anticipate that. But I've got a solution for you. Look at this, at this fiery serpent. So Moses made the bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. The story ends there, but what I want you to hear about this story is this is that nowhere in, this is now, this is me inserting this, this is Nathan Kirk inserting this, but nowhere in this story do we read that the Lord took the snakes away. He just made a way for them to be healed. And the way for them to be healed was to look at the fiery serpent that was created. Now, just bear with me a little bit, because I'm setting you up. It's like when you know you're getting set up, but you just you, you want it anyway. Like, because the worst kind of snake is not this fiery serpent. The worst kind of snake is not a cobra. It's not an anaconda or a python. It's not a copperhead or a black mamba or a cottonmouth or a coral snake or the rattlesnake. The worst kind of snake is the snake inside of a person. 
The worst kind of a threat that you can have is the threat inside yourself. God is trying to show us, in, in showing the people in Numbers 21, the justice to the punishment for turning their hearts on God. The justice and the punishment for turning their hearts on him was, was the fiery serpents were just a revelation of what was already taking place within their hearts. And the poison that began to spread through the camp when words of fear and doubt began to come out of their mouths. And so what he does is he takes the solution for these terrifying snakes that are, that are terrorizing the people and causing fear in their lives. What he does and the solution for that is he says, make a fiery serpent and then make everyone look at it. And the reality of the message is this, is that the Lord's fix for the poison that was in your life and in their lives was not to run away from it or to take the serpents away, but was to force you to face what you're afraid of. God, God, he loves you so much that he will not just take things out of your life to make your life better. He will keep them there so that you have to one day face it. And you can stand in the corner while everybody else is getting bit. And you can say, I'm not getting bit. I'm not going to look at it. But you better believe that when, that when all them other people in the camp are bit, and you're the last one left, and all those snakes are slithering towards you, you better believe that you're like, where's that serpent at? Where's it at? Where's it at, Moses? I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's what the Lord does for us. He refuses to allow us to just go about our business representing him and into the promise that he's given you without first confronting and addressing that which terrifies you. So the question I have for you this morning is this. What terrifies you? What scares you to your core? I'm going to be transparent. This is just me being a little transparent right now. Oh, boy. I, there, there was a, a moment I remember in my home. And, and uh, forgive me for preaching about my situation I'm not trying to take, take any credit for anything or put any, shed any light on me, but I just want to share this as a testimony for something that maybe can help somebody. I don't know. But there was a moment that I had in my home when we were just married. and Well, not we were just, we were just moved down here, and we had Olivia. She was an infant, and she was in the other room. We had just placed her in the other room next to us on, our, on the same floor, just right across the hall. Now, some of you are going to think this is really weird, and some of you are going to think, I'm not going to that church anymore. Um, 
you think what you want, but I, I know where I stand. And I remember laying in bed at night and just kind of like you hear, I, I have this, this like, you know, like paranoia or this fear that, that I needed to hear my daughter breathing. You know, like I needed to hear her breathing because like we were new parents, we were brand new parents. I didn't know what to do about, I, like I'm not an expert. And I just want to make sure that this child doesn't grow up and, and cause, you know, start schools on fire and, you know, like, or something. I don't know. Like, I, but really my responsibility is just, I just want to keep her alive right now. That's, I'm not worried about college. I'm just like, I'm trying to keep this thing alive. And I really, that's, that's what I came down to. And I would listen. You know how you like strain to listen. And it's, it hurts. You're trying to listen so hard. It hurts to listen. But I'd, I'd hear her breathing in the other room, and I'd say, okay, everything's okay. Okay. And I'd, I'd listen for that rhythm, you know? Like, you get that rhythm, so you're like, okay, I can hear that rhythm, and everything's okay. And as sure as I'm standing here, I was wide awake. It wasn't like I just just woken up out of something. But an evil spirit manifested itself in my home, laughed at me in our bedroom, and then went into my daughter's room. You can think whatever you want. I don't really care. But I know what I did. I took up authority. The enemy was trying to play at my fear. And so I took authority. And I went in there. And I didn't just go pray for her from the other room. I went into that room. I stepped into that room. And I claimed authority in the name of Jesus. And I began to seek the face of God and invite him in and worship him and, and tell that devil that it had to go. You can think what you want. I really don't care. I know what goes on in my house. I'm going to tell you what. Okay. You know what? I, I'm going to tell you something. If you have a problem with this, go clean out your house. It's, oh, whew, okay. No. I'm sorry. That was a little hard. Go clean out your house for a minute and see what stuff starts to happen. See, see what fears the enemy starts to play on, right? And the enemy's playing on your fears, all the while the Lord is saying, look at what scares you. Look at what terrifies you. Because by the time this whole thing is over, you're going to be able to pick that thing up. And you don't got to worry about it. So, so I, I went into the room and I... I did what, what I do. We did what we do. And that, that fear, that spirit immediately left, but the fear had to go with it. Right. It had to go with it. Because if the enemy can plant that seed of fear, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. But the enemy can begin to plant that seed of fear. That fear had to go. So we had, I had to confront it. I have this fear, this ongoing fear that has, the more kids that I have, the more times that that fear keeps coming up. And you could live your life sheltered for fear. You could live your life closed in because at least nobody, nothing could happen to me if I don't let myself go or extend myself. At least nothing will happen to me if I just keep to myself. But those snakes will find you. 
truth is, I need, I need to move on this morning, but the truth is this, for Israel as a people, and this was just their humanity, was that they were free from horrible, oppressive system of bondage that they previously lived under. But once they were free from that oppression, they found themselves in the nothingness of the desert. And you can't thrive when you're wandering in the nothingness of life. Desert won't let you grow. It won't. And in their desert wanderings, they began to fight among themselves. They began to vie for power and authority. And this is, this is part of their story, but can I tell you, this is part of your story as well. That in your seasons of wanderings, in your seasons of desert, when you don't think that you're progressing, you know what happens in your life is you begin to fight. Fight fights that you have no business fighting. You know what the fights that they got into? They got into fights where there rose the, uh, this, this group of men that said, Moses and Aaron, you've taken all the authority for yourself. We don't like that, so we're going to step in and we're going to take control here. Yeah. It, it didn't work out for them, by the way. And the time comes when the people turn on God the time comes, actually, and this is just a little insert, where the people turn on their leader. This is what it is. They turn their hearts against God. And scripture says that they were very discouraged or impatient in their journey. And in their impatience, while living out their own life sentence because of their own actions, the snake in their hearts begins to speak against God and against Moses. It's your fault we're here. How many have ever told God that? It's your fault there isn't any good food or water. It's your fault our soul is hateful. It's your fault this bread that you miraculously provide for us every day isn't any good. And this next part that happens in the story is something that we just read in a few minutes, but I don't think it just happened in just a few minutes. The next part, see, the, the people have begun to turn their hearts against God and against Moses, and they're saying, we, we, don't, we don't even want anything to do with you anymore. Look what you've, look what you've done to us. How many times have we, have we ever done that with God? Yeah, I know this is part of Israel's story, but is that, is that ever part of our story? We turn to God on that, like, we don't, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. And you know what happens when we get to that point? We dig our heels in deep. We, when you get to that point where you're starting to make those statements against God, you're, you're saying, I've picked a side, and this is where I'm going. You've set yourself against God. And that's a dangerous place to be. The challenge of that dangerous place is that you set yourself deep into that place. So this is where they find themselves. And the Lord says, okay, well, then I'll fix you. I'll send fiery serpents among the million-plus people. And we read this in a few verses, and we think that this just takes a few minutes. But can I tell you that this probably took a lot more time than what we think it took. This probably took a lot of time because 
God sends the serpents. Many people are bitten. Many people begin to die. The question I had when I was reading this was this. How long do you think it took for the people to turn to Moses and ask him to talk to God on their behalf? How many, how many of the other people had to suffer before those with some voice or authority or importance began to speak up? Oh, boy. Because if this is impacting somebody else, and somebody else's family or their kids, or their, if it's impacting them down the street, that's fine. I'm still going to stay my course. We don't ever do that, though. That's part of our nature. As a result of this, so here's what happens. You know the story. I've, I've read it. The people acknowledge that they've sinned, which is really the first step towards restoration. And Moses, they ask Moses to ask God to take the serpents away. Moses prays for the people. We don't know how long it takes for Moses to pray for the people. And the Lord says, make a fiery serpent, set it in a pole, and everyone who is bitten and looks on it shall live. That, that didn't just happen in a few minutes either, by the way. you got to make a mold, and then you have to heat up bronze to, a, to liquefy it, and then pour it in there, and then it's got to set and cure, and then you have to take it out and clean it up, and then put it on a stick. And then This didn't happen in just kind of like an afternoon process. It's a long process. And you know what's happening while all this process is going on? Snakes are still moving around. Fighting people. Terrorizing people. Their greatest fear is being realized. I'm alone. I'm in the desert. I've turned my back on God. There's something coming after me that I have no power over. And I'm going to die. And the, this fear is embodied in the snake that's slithering around the camp. The snake's everywhere. And God's solution for this, man's solution is take the snakes away. Take, the, take, take what we fear the most away. And God's solution is, no, I'm going to make you look at it. I'm going to expose the fear. But you have to have enough humility. Because if, if, if they just take them away, the people can say, whew, dodge the bullet there and move on. But if, you, if God creates a solution and says, this is what you have to do, then even, no matter how stubborn you are, you know that you've got to do what God said to do if you're going to make it. God's not, he's not going to have his arm twisted. Not for, our, not for our pride. So, so we don't get an explanation of what happened to the fiery serpents after, the, after this, but some scholars, and this is kind of where I like to go with this, some scholars believe that the snakes made their way through the camp until all or nearly all had been bitten and had an opportunity to look at the bronze snake that was lifted up. Some scholars believe that the snakes stayed around until the people were immune to them, no longer impacted by them. And the idea is this. I know my bite is going to come at some time, so I might as well get familiar with the bronze snake now so I'm ready once it happens. And well, guess what? All of a sudden, you've been bitten. And your only hope is to stop running 
and seeking a cure, the right cure. The only cure that you have is to turn and to face what you fear the most. Church, you've been bitten. You've been bitten by fear. And the only hope that you have is to face what you fear. But hear this preacher today. Facing what you fear is not looking inwardly. Facing what you fear is looking to Jesus lifted up on the cross. Because he said, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so too I must be lifted up. And what that represents is that Jesus on the cross is the embodiment of all the fears in the world represented in Jesus Christ on the cross. And you need to look at him. You need to look, don't turn away. Don't, I know it's ugly, but don't turn away. I know it's not very pleasant to think about. Don't turn away. It's so potent that when Jesus was on the cross, he, he talks to Mary and he says, he says, Mother, behold or look upon your son. Can you imagine that? A son who is in suffering, agony, and anguish, talking to his mother and saying, Mother, I know you don't want to see this, but look at me. The sum of all of your fears is now wrapped up and realized in Jesus Christ on the cross. And he says, if you'll just, that's the power of the message of the cross, is if you look at Jesus on the cross and see that Savior on that cross, just like the snake was lifted up in the wilderness. And our problem is that we see our fears represented up there and we say, I don't want to look at that, Jesus. The only way that you can overcome this and conquer this is not by looking inwardly. You've never been much good for yourself anyway. It's only by looking to Jesus. Lift it up. What fears did Jesus on the cross represent? How about this? Exposed for everyone to see. 100% uncovered. Physically, yep. Anybody, anybody ever have a fear of that? Come on, folks. You never had that dream where you woke up and you're in front of a crowd of people and you got nothing but your underwear on? Oh, is that a little too personal this morning? Oh, it's getting warm in here. The stuff nightmares are made of, man. Come on. But it's beyond just that. It's the complete uncovering of his emotions. 
Some of you are expressive people. But some of you are not expressive people. We could probably look around and see a few non-expressive people here. Rick, since you're sitting so close. <laughs> Got you, yeah. <laughs> Should have sat towards the back. <laughs> and, and this is it. All of his fears coming to coming true in one moment. <laughs> it's, right, it's right here. You're being exposed for everyone to see. Yeah, you can't hide. It's even being live streamed. No, my Lord. Right. You don't have a lot of, typically, typically you don't have a lot of emotional variance. Right? There aren't highs and lows that happen that quickly. Um, you're pretty cool. Pretty centered. Pretty chill. Just like middle of the road. You're like, I pay taxes for the whole road, so I'll drive down the middle. That's what you do. That's, that's, that's Rick Van Heath. Yeah, yeah, you got that whole line, but why go, why go in the extremes? I'd just stay right in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you're being tormented and tortured, you can't hold that in. You can't keep your cool. You can't just take torture that the Romans had perfected. You can't keep it all in. So now Jesus is being, all of his raw emotion is being exposed for everyone to see. Some of you, that's your greatest fear, is that people will see you vulnerable and emotional. So you need to face your fear. Not looking inwardly, but by looking at what Jesus did for you. What about, what about this one? So, the fear of being exposed for everyone to see 100% uncovered. And what about this one? The fear of being betrayed by a close friend. Jesus on the cross, he didn't get there just in a second. He, there was a setup and a process for this. And he was betrayed by his close friend. Sometimes we keep relationships at an arm's length away because we don't want to be betrayed. We are afraid of being hurt. And so what we do is because of that fear, we just keep things at a distance. And what the Lord says, he says, I'm trying to get you to where you need to be, but you can't bring that fear with you. So I'm going to send a little serpent to remind you, and you need to look to Jesus, who was also betrayed by his close friend. So that when that fear of betrayal comes again, I've already been bitten by that. I've already overcome that. I can just, I can just pick that serpent up. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it anymore. What about this fear? Everyone who says that they are their friend, that they are your friends, leaves you once times get tough. That you've made a decision to stand up for truth, and that in that decision to stand up for truth, everyone that calls you friend abandons you. Fear of your friends leaving you. And you look and you see Jesus on the cross. Everyone had left him. Or what about you feel utterly rejected by your own people? Imagine that. 
Imagine the terror of everyone you know turning on you. The power of fear and the strength of that venom is poison. Or the fear of being completely abandoned by your father. As Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or the fear of being falsely accused of wrongdoing. Of the fear of paying the price for someone else's crime. Of the fear of everybody knowing that this is false and it's wrong. But they have some hatred inside of them that they cannot possibly advocate for you. So you pay the price for somebody else's failure. Or the fear that you face death and the terror of knowing that your death is coming. And what Jesus represents on the cross is the combined peak of terror in every possible way of all of humanity. And that's what you see when you look at Jesus lifted up. We could stand here this morning I've hit on a few things here today, and my question is this, what are you afraid of? Hear hear this morning, hear this morning, hear me today, hear, 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 I know, I know, I know where, I know where this service is at right now, and I feel in this atmosphere exactly where things are at, because the majority of people here right now are about ready to check out and just be done with this. You say, I didn't come here ready to address this. I didn't come here ready to deal with this. Or I can handle this on my own. The fact of the matter is, you have been bitten. You've been bitten. And there is a venom of fear coursing through your veins. And you're running to find every solution that you can possibly find. And you will never find it until you look at Jesus lifted up for you you're going you're going everywhere else and you're saying well this service is almost over and I'll soothe my fear by leaving this context no you will not that venom will still run through your vein and you will keep yourself from stepping into the promise that God has destined for you if you don't address and confront this fear that the serpents are running all over and God's plan for you and his his destiny and design for you is not to be afraid of the things that have caused you terror, but to begin to look at them and say, I've already conquered this by looking at Jesus lifted up. You have no power over me. So you keep looking at Jesus. You keep looking at him, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at him. Look at him on the cross. Look at him in agony and in shame and in abandonment. Look at him in pain. Look at him up there for everyone to see wrongfully placed, wrongfully accused, gone through so much torment and terror that we can't even imagine all that he went through. Look at him there. And realize that he overcame that. 
He overcame the grave. Because when you keep looking at the cross and the story of Jesus on the cross, and after he begins to cry out those final words, and he says, it is finished, and gives up the ghost. As he dies, keep looking at the cross. As he dies, keep looking at Jesus lifted up. As he dies, all you see is death. That which we fear the most. But you keep looking. You keep looking. And all of a sudden, down the road, comes a man named Joseph of Arimathea. All of a sudden, Joseph and a few others with him take Jesus off the cross. You just keep looking. And when he they take the body off the cross, you keep looking in, and they wrap him up in clothes, in grave clothes. You just keep looking. Just keep looking at that which is terrified. Keep looking. And they take those, this body wrapped in grave clothes and they put it in a tomb. Just keep looking. And they put the stone in front of the tomb and they put the seal on it. They say, it's done, it's finished, it's over. Keep looking. Because it's a short time later. The stone is rolled away. Keep looking. And a short time later, you see Jesus coming out of that tomb. Keep looking. Bearing the scars of all of your fears and walking, treading on serpents victoriously. And everything that you have feared is embodied now in the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says to his, he says to his servants, if you believe in my name, you can take up serpents. You can pick up the very thing that has caused you fear. The very thing that terrorizes and torments you. You can do that. If you look, just look to me. Just look to him. You gotta face it today. You gotta face it. So every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning. I want to open up this altar. If you have been facing fear, and fear has been ruling your life, if you have been bitten and poisoned by fear, I want to invite you to come on up to this altar. And truth be told, if you come up and nobody else comes up, the only difference between you and them is that you're being honest. Fear has been ruling your life. The fear of loss, the fear of abandonment, the fear of being alone. Come on, somebody. The fear of being exposed, the fear of somebody seeing you emotional and raw and the actual real side of you. fear of your friends leaving. The fear of those who are close abandoning you because you stand up for truth. Fear, fear, fear. And it's not a time, it's not a time to try and hide from it. 
It's not a time to try to move it off the next page and, and to get away from this. But this is actually your time to look fear in the eyes, to confront that fear, and to say, I see more than just, I see more than just that which I'm afraid of. To look past, to look past the fear itself, and to see the cross, the tomb, the empty grave. And a risen Savior. So we're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray right now. Just ask God. We're going to confess, Lord, I'm afraid. And after we do that, we're going to put our trust in Him. So right now, can you just do this with me? We're just gonna we're gonna confess. Not not out not to everybody else, but I do want you to say it. Say it so at least that you can hear it. We're gonna confess, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I want you to verbalize and give a name to that which you are afraid of. Because when you don't when you don't give a name to it, it's that monster in the closet that's bigger than life itself. So I want you to give a name to it. I want you to begin to speak. And I want you to confess and talk to Jesus. And I want you to imagine while you're doing this that Jesus is on the cross looking at you eye to eye. And as you're telling him what you're afraid of, realizing that after the cross, he's risen and victorious over all of it anyway. I want to tell you today that God will give you a victory over that fear so that you can take up that serpent. So let's start right now. We're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, it's, not, it's, it's, it's fear that's been driving us. It's fear and anxiety that's been driving me, Lord. I've been making decisions based on fear, not on faith. I've been making decisions and living a lifestyle based on what I'm afraid of more than what I believe in. God, I'm afraid of being alone. Lord, I'm afraid of being abandoned. Lord, I'm afraid of, of being exposed and mischaracterized. Lord, I'm afraid that, that all of the wrongs in my life are going to be seen by everybody. I'm afraid of being vulnerable, Lord. I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that no one will love me. I'm afraid that no one will, will want me. I'm afraid that this is how it's always going to be and I'll never be able to break free of these issues of my life. I'm afraid, Lord. I'm afraid of the baggage from family. I'm afraid of my friends judging me and doubting me. I'm afraid to step into the calling that you've called me to step into. I'm afraid that he's going to leave. I'm afraid that she's going to leave. I'm afraid to be alone. God, I'm, I'm afraid. But I see you, Jesus. Come on, let's look to Jesus right now. I see you, Jesus, on that cross. I see that you took every bit of that fear. I see that you embraced every bit of those fears, every single one of those, Lord. I see that you took every one of those and I stand here long enough to recognize and realize, Lord, that it, the story doesn't end at the cross, but it ends, Lord, and it culminates at a resurrected Savior. 
that where I am, Lord, is not meant to be stuck in a place of fear. But you went to that cross and you took every bit of it on yourself. You confronted every single bit of it and you gave me, you gave him, you gave her, you gave all of us the opportunity to walk free from this fear. Man, why don't you just talk to the Lord right now? Why don't you just talk to him right now? Let him speak into your life in Jesus' name.